When opening the Sunday newspaper, some people grab the comics, while others scour the sales. And many of us reach first for the travel section. Whether looking for an exotic overseas vacation or just someplace interesting for a Sunday drive, the travel pages stoke our wanderlust and inspire us to pack our bags. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Today, we're going behind the scenes at the San Francisco Chronicle to find out how their executive travel editor assembles the weekly travel section. John Flynn is an expert in capturing travelers' imaginations, and he'll let us in on the tricks of the trade. But first, the newspaper isn't the only inspiration for good travel. We'll be taking your phone calls to find out where you're traveling. And then, later this hour, our latest round of travel haikus submitted by our listeners. We're a community of travelers that meets each week on the radio. And you're part of it. Together, we're traveling with Rick Steves. Stay with us. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. How many clippings from your Sunday paper's travel section have you squirreled away over the years? For many travelers, that weekly dispatch is the perfect way to get ideas for an upcoming trip. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Today, we'll be talking to John Flynn, who knows as well as anyone how to plant the seeds that blossom into a great trip. As the executive travel editor for the San Francisco Chronicle, John's finely tuned travel radar gives people their first glimpse at wonderful travel opportunities, from local weekend getaways to overseas adventures. He'll let us in on how they put together the travel section at a major metropolitan daily newspaper and what inspires him as a traveler. That's just ahead, but first, let's take some calls and check our email to see what's on your mind and where your travel dreams are taking you. We're at 877-333-RICK. That's 877-333-7425. And our email address is radio at ricksteves.com. Got Barbara on the line from Winter Haven, Florida. Hi, Barbara. Hi. How you doing? I'm doing just great. My concerns are about the passports. Um, how many countries still require visas in Europe, and then are you required to show your passport at the uh, borderline of each of the countries, as it used to be, or is well, this not required any longer? Well, Barbara, things have changed hugely. You should still expect to tra- keep your passport with you. Um, you know, technically, when you're in a foreign country, you should have your passport with you, and I, that's why I like to have it zipped up in a money belt tied to a pouch under my clothing in s- some form or another. Uh, now that Europe is uh, uh, just growing and growing, what is it, 25 countries, something like that, basically all of Western and Central Europe, you just cross borders and you can't get a passport stamp if your life depended on it. I mean, they're just going to wave you right across. So there really are no border stations. You have to pay attention to know when you're crossing the border between Switzerland and uh, Germany or something like this. Now, uh, and of course, you do not need visas for any of those countries either. When you go further east, you know, getting into the former Soviet Union, uh, you'll still need visas like in the old days. But basically in Europe, you go where you want. Uh, You need to show your passport to get into the European Union and then to get out of the European Union and back to the United States. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. When are you going to be going on your trip? Oh, I wish. Probably next year. All right. Well, get a passport. Might as well get a passport now. Uh, the, uh, you know, they're good, I believe, for 10 years. And, yes, uh, and always, you know, it's just important uh, to just check that expiration date when you're going to be traveling to make sure you're not going to wake up a, a couple days before your trip and realize, oh, it's expiring in a month. It needs to be valid until, well, you know, until after you get back home at the end of your trip. Exactly. Okay, thanks for your call. Thank you. We've got Mike on the line in Indiana. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for your call. I, I work at a university, and I have an overseas project that I'm working on currently that I started two years ago when I was on leave, and we're beginning to finalize this whole project. So we're headed back to uh, the Netherlands, uh-huh. uh, which is the the home of the institution with whom I'm working, and then from there we go to Budapest for to do my computer demonstration and uh, address. And from there we go to Prague. And uh, my concern was I've got a five-country flexi-saver pass uh-huh. for Netherlands, Germany, Austria, Hungary, and Italy. And then we go from there, uh, from uh, from Budapest to Prague, and I also purchased the uh, Czech 
plexipass right. for both my wife and me. So let me catch up for our listeners uh, who aren't familiar with this, uh, Mike. Nowadays, when you buy a rail pass, you don't just buy all 17 countries like in the old days. You can still right. do that, but it's very expensive and few people do. You yes. tailor your pass to the countries you plan on visiting. And yes. Mike is visiting these five countries, and he's bought a pass tailored to that, but it does not include the Czech Republic. Is that right? That's correct. So you have to buy a little pass that you kind of slap onto it called the Czech, what is it called? The Czech, uh, Czech Flexi Pass. The Czech Flexi Pass. Three days uh, within 10 days is okay. what we purchased. My concern was that I also read in your guidebook that if you don't get it validated <laughs> at a station, right, then you pay and get it validated on the train, you pay a fine. Right, because if the conductor finds you on the train crossing into his country without a validated pass, he thinks, you know, cynically, that you might be trying to slip through without being checked. I see. And he will validate your pass for you, but he's going to give you a little penalty or a little service fee, you know? Well, my, 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 my question was, we go from Budapest to, I think it's Vienna South Station. Right. And then catch the train okay. to Prague. Now, what you need to know, Mike, is the folks in the South train station in Vienna are accustomed to this situation, okay. and they will readily validate your check pass before you leave the train station okay, in Vienna. Good. That yeah. was my question. Can I do it there, or do I just wait sure. and pay the fine when I get mm, on the train? No, no, no. They, they work together that way. You just need somebody with, a, with one of those stamps that they can put the date and stamp it and make okay. it look official. By the way, there's a good tip right there. Um, big cities or even small towns have more than one train station, so you'll be in Vienna coming into the south train station. Right. And do you know you're going to leave from the south train station? Yes. Oh, good, because I hope you would have uh, confirmed that. Because <laughs> well, more more times than I care to admit, I've been in the right city, on the right track at the right time, and there's nobody there and no train. What's going on? <laughs> and then I realize, oh, no, it's the West Station or the North Station or the Central Station. Well, your uh, your tip on the uh, German, the, the Deutsche Bahn, oh, yeah. uh, I mean, that has guided me through... Uh, Actually, we were in, in Europe six weeks, a year, uh, two years ago, and we're mm -hmm. going to be there four weeks this time. And without that, I would never have been able to plan or the, uh, the trips mean, myself. You mean going to their website? Yes. Yes, my staff has told me about that, and it's brilliant. You just oh. go to the Deutsches Bahn uh, website, and you type in your what city you're starting, what city you're ending, and right. when, when you want to leave, and they do all the hard work for you. And, and the only thing they don't do outside of Germany and Austria and a few in the Netherlands and Belgium is, is give you the platform. Yeah, but they <laughs> give change. you... It's incredible what they've yeah. done. We should remind anybody who's dreaming about a rail uh, trip, if they go to uh, ricksteves.com, go into the rail section, and you can click right onto that site. And That's if correct. I'm planning my trip right now, and I don't know uh, how common and the connections are and how long it takes in some of the more uh, distant corners of Europe, and I, I tap into that, and it's like I'm right there with an expert. Well, thank you very much, and uh, we always look to Rick Steves first. Well, thanks a lot. You're keeping me in business. Happy travels. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Bye now. Bye-bye. And we have Dana on the line in Bainbridge Island in Washington. Hi, Dana. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm great. Uh, what are you thinking about when it comes to travel? Well, uh, you had a caller a couple of weeks ago um, asking about long-term travel, and I had a couple of comments on that. Um, as, as Americans, we have opportunities to take long-term travel, and a lot of people like to take a sabbatical. And um, one thing that uh, I think the people tend to get discouraged after a while based on weather and uh, other living conditions that are sort of different from their home living conditions. And uh, one thing I wanted to point out is how many opportunities there are in Europe and other places in the world, of course, um, for us to go and... Um, and participate in, in different aid organizations that love to have self-sufficient Americans come and just uh, take part in helping out people huh. uh, in, in different in different situations. Now, I would think a precondition there, Dana, would be that people are going to stay uh, a long enough time where they could uh, sink their teeth into this work. Sometimes. I know um, my family's been involved in, uh, in, even, in, in different uh, things where you can be involved in as little as a week. Really? Um, the, the Rotarians uh, in my community send a group every year as, long, as well as different church organizations down to Tijuana. And in a week, they can build a house. Wow. Now, um, how long were you on the road when you went for this extended trip? Well, I actually um, have lived abroad and, and know a lot about the experiences that Americans have when they're um, living long-term overseas and how after about three weeks it's no longer a trip and you're, and you're doing a lot more than just traveling when you're, when you're extending your stay. What are you doing? Um, but uh, you're, you're immersing yourself into the culture in ways that you don't when you're just taking quick trips. So instead of just being a sightseer who's got a return ticket, you're, you're sort of um, 
you're a temporary local person. You're settling in wherever you are. Right, and you and you understand the culture in a way more than just um, you know. I love your program because you encourage people to go out and and really try and partake in local culture. But you understand it in a way that you understand why people do things they do based on things that are around them that they're experiencing every day. That as a regular tourist, you don't really experience. Oh, I agree. That's a huge thing, and that's something yeah. you know because I I'm kind of just your basic. I'm flitting around there like a regular tourist and sightseeing. But boy, those people who can stay put for a while, learn the language, do a little volunteer work, join some local clubs, get to know people. In so much of Europe, if you go back to the same bar the second night, you're considered a regular. <laughs> right. Well, when you have a focus when you're helping people out, um, you have a tendency to overlook some of the uh, things that may be considered difficulties to, to those of us who are used to our comfort here in the United States. Well, that's a way to make you um, a, a person who's more satisfied and, and thankful uh, with their lot in life just by knowing, relatively speaking, where they sit. Right. <laughs> so uh, tell us, you know, let's say somebody has six months and uh, mm-hmm. they'd like to actually do some travel on purpose, I like to say. Yeah. Um, wh- where would you turn for information? How would you know what your options are? Well, I'd start with uh, whatever business you're in. Uh, there are different trade organizations. Um, my family's in the construction industry. There are a lot of different construction organizations that um, you know, do things in exotic places like Africa or places that are much more civilized like Switzerland. Charity things, um, you mean? Yeah, yeah, charity things, um, building building programs for you know poorer people or habitat for like humanity that. kind of work. That type of work, yeah. Um, rotary uh, Rotary clubs uh, often have connections to different organizations that um, that uh, are providing these kind of services. That love to have self sufficient Americans get involved. Now, are these Americans that have skills to offer, or just elbow grease? Both. Um, again, if you're starting with starting with your own organization, you know whatever trade organization. Teachers have different um, organizations that and websites mm. that uh, there are a lot of church organizations. Start with whatever your religion or your or your uh, background is. They have different opportunities for people that don't have necessarily specific skills, but you'd be surprised what skills you have if you start thinking about it. Oh yeah. What about if you went to a, a country, uh, and especially in the developing world, without mm-hmm. some sort of a group that you've. Uh, allied yourself with, uh, uh, would you be able to find an organization there that you could get involved with, or is it better to do that before you leave home? It's, I think it's a lot better to do that before you leave home because um, uh, in terms of safety, personal safety, um, you know, there are, the, the larger aid organizations have you know, armies of people that do research and, and know exactly how to go about giving the aid out. Um, aid that's misdirected can, you know, go to the wrong hands and, and really isn't necessarily helping people. Your trip to London to go to Legoland is probably not going to be life-changing, but if you went down mm-hmm. to uh, Honduras and, and uh, helped build a well, that would be something that you would have a pretty powerful souvenir to take home with you. Yeah, even even simply being there. I mean, I have a I have a friend in um, that's Haitian, and she says the Americans that have come to visit and, and help out with their uh, organization, the Youth with a Mission, and she says simply just having Americans there that are willing to make the sacrifice to go and, and be there with them has a huge impact on them. It tells them they're special, it tells them they're important, and that there are people that don't fit sort of the world's stereotype of America. <laughs> yeah, you're doing, a big, um, you're doing a big service just by showing, right. uh, being an ambassador of goodwill, I think. Exactly, yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Dana. I think uh, a lot of people should, uh, well, we'll be giving a little thought to uh, doing something more than stringing together a bunch of museums. I hope so. All right. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye. Coming up, an inside look at how they put together the Sunday Papers travel section. You're traveling with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines, with 4,000 flights to 250 cities in some 40 countries around the world every day. It's easy to book your next flight at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.
Ik ben Rolinka Bloeming uit Amsterdam en ik reis graag met Rick Steves. In Dutch, that is, I'm Rolinka Bloeming from Amsterdam and I love to travel with Rick Steves. En in Dutch, ik ben Rolinka Bloeming uit Amsterdam en ik reis graag met Rick Steves. Dank u wel. Call me at 1-877-333-RICK. Email us at radio at ricksteves.com. Thanks for traveling with us. I'm Rick Steves, and this is Travel with Rick Steves. And right now we're going we're gonna to delve into something that I think all of us are familiar with, but we don't know a lot about, and that is travel newspaper sections. I don't know about you, but for a lot of people, they work their entire working lives to take that wonderful trip, and a travel section from their local newspaper has a lot to do with that. This is where travel dreams are hatched. And I've got with me uh, one of my very favorite travel editors in this country and a guy who does a marvelous job putting together the travel section for the San Francisco John Flynn is with us. Thanks, John, for joining us. Glad to be here. Now, John, when when you're designing a travel section for uh, a big-time newspaper like the San Francisco Chronicle, uh, you must have a sense of the the power of this and how many people are are looking at it. That's a heavy responsibility to crank out uh, once or twice a week. Oh, it really is. We uh, uh, sometimes we will, you know, re- recommend say a small little inn or B and B somewhere in Northern California, and. Uh, They'll tell me that they'll be booked solid for months afterwards. Uh, sometimes they can't even accommodate it. And uh, uh, roughly a million people a, a, a week read our newspaper. And uh, if just you know one percent of one percent of them act on it, that's still quite a few people. So you probably have to factor that in with uh, who you're recommending. Yeah, we uh, obviously we we like to go out and check places ourselves, and we mm-hmm. you know we try not to send a huge crowd of people to some place that might only have you know two beds available right. uh, a week or something. Yeah, like that. a little flower can be trampled by a mob scene, and then why even mention it? You know? Well, it's 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 tough, and you know I think for all travel writers, that's really the dilemma. I mean, it's you know maybe putting it a little too blithely, but you know our job is to. Right. discover these cool, undiscovered places and send right. crowds there, unfortunately. And your job is also to develop savvy travelers, I would think. People well, of can, course, yeah. yeah. Now, when you, you must uh, kind of pay attention to the other travel sections around the country. What are the, what are the most respected travel sections in the country, would you say? Well, I, I really like the Los Angeles Times. I think they're really good. I think the Boston Globe is excellent, uh, the Washington Post. And uh, those, those are probably my favorites. Do you read them regularly? As regularly as I can, usually online. Uh, I try to get a, an actual copy of them every week. So uh, uh, people from all over the country can tune into those online, can't they? Oh, yeah, as they can ours also. Uh, which cities are those? We've got San Francisco, Boston. Uh, Washington Post and uh, Los Angeles Times, I think. So what distinguishes those? Because, uh, you know, each, each travel section probably has its, a personality. Yeah, well, are they, uh, I think what they have in common is really good writers and uh, and a big staff, and they have room for lots of articles, room that I can only be envious of. Now, what, de- what determines how many articles they can run? Well, I think ev- everywhere in the newspaper industry, not just in travel, but in every section, there's generally a formula, and it's basically based on how many ads you sell. And a typical balance might be roughly 60% ads and 40% uh, news or, you know... Okay. Uh, so you've got a, a person in charge of selling ads for your section, and if he does well, you get to put together more information. That's right. And if times are tough and nobody's traveling, nobody's advertising, advertising shrinks, and so does your allotment for articles. Uh, that's right. And that trickles down to all of us travel writers. That's right, and also my, my budget for buying uh, freelance stories shrinks as well. Huh. So it's pretty much, I would imagine the, the format around the country is, is pretty much the same. You've got a certain ad-to-article ratio. Uh-huh. And is that pretty standard where you think 60% of the pages would be ads? It can, you know, it can vary. I think, you know, anywhere between, you know, from probably 35 up to 50% of the section would be, you know, news copy or, news. or stories as opposed to ads. Now, do most newspapers have a, a Sunday travel section and then one weekday? No, I think most just have Sunday. A few do do uh, something midweek, like uh, up in your area, the Seattle Times, I believe, is it Thursday? Right. Runs a, a small section devoted uh, specifically to travel in the region. It'd be the regional. Northwest. That's right. We've actually just started a little uh, section on Thursday as well. Right now, we're it's it's really focused more on international travel, but we have a sort of sep- 
separate little section that runs as part of our date book, which is our uh, sort of entertainment section. And what is the general structure? Let's say, let's just say next Sunday. How many pages do you have, and how's it going to break out? Lately, it's been anywhere from ten to fourteen pages, and uh, again, you know, roughly that that gives us generally room for uh, three sort of larger destination stories about places. And then uh, then we have what we call furniture, which are all the regular columns. I write a, a weekly column uh, about travel topics. We have some consumer-oriented uh, columns. Uh, we run a very popular feature called uh, Follow the Reader, where readers write in and tell us about the latest little bed and breakfast they've discovered or a great little restaurant somewhere. Okay. And that's incredibly popular, and uh, that, that's part of our furniture. Anyway. I bet that is. Now, when you've got, for instance, three features to come up with, is that generated by your staff, by you, or taken off the wire? Or how do, you, how do you get those three major articles? Generally, two of them are original, which means either written by me or someone on my staff, or written by uh, a freelance writer. And maybe one of them will, will be from the Associated Press Wire, or maybe uh, will have run in you know another newspaper a few weeks ago. So is it considered bad style for a, a Denver newspaper to run only articles that have appeared in, in other newspapers? Yeah, I, th- I think all, all section editors want to run as much original content as possible. The, the three papers I cited as being really good, I think, run almost exclusively original stories. And that doesn't, they don't compromise quality by that pressure they put on themselves to generate original material? Well, they have they have big budgets, and they have a network of you know good freelance writers they, they work with. Because that's expensive to send an, a, a writer out to um, um, the Philippines for a week to come home with a couple of articles. It is, it is. And uh, right now our, our budget's holding up, uh, but a lot of newspapers around the country have had their travel budgets cut quite a bit. So if you're going to cut back, a great way to save money, I would suppose, is to uh, stop sending your people out and just take stuff off the wire. That's true, it is. I think the the problem you run into with that is that I think every city or every region has a particular uh, personality of their travelers. Right, uh, and you know that, and that's what your job is, isn't it? Yeah, so I want, I want articles that really play to the sensibilities of, mm-hmm. of travelers in Northern California who are going to be different than travelers in Dallas or Minneapolis or Boston. Now, John, just in a real simple terms, when you when how does the wire work? When you write about me in your newspaper, uh-huh. I, I notice that little article about me pops up all over the country in lesser newspapers. Right. It's uh, it's true. They uh, usually. Uh, we belong to, well, all newspapers in the country belong to Associated Press, which is a cooperative. Every, the Associated Press has its own staff of people generating articles, but they also uh, take articles from papers all over the country. They go out on the wire, and then any other, pa- any other paper can use them. That's just a service. You can take whatever you want, then you're paying the membership fee, and you got your... Right. And then in addition to that, there, uh, there are other uh, services. Our, our corporation, the Hearst Corporation, has its own wire service. The Scripps Howard papers have their own wire service. The New York Times Washington Post uh, group has their own wire service. The New York Times does. And so uh, pretty much almost any story any other travel writer or editor on staff writes at another paper around the country eventually comes to me, and I can use it for free, and vice versa. It's it's always fun for me to, to go check after a month or two and see which of my stories have appeared in other papers. So you take from the wire, and when you produce something yourself, you contribute that to the wire. Is that, you said it was like a co-op. Is that how that works? Yeah, unfortunately, I don't get any extra money for it. But, you uh, don't get any extra money if you mm, got an article that hits it in 50 papers. Not a penny. It, uh, but you get the uh, ego gratification. And Yeah, and I've, I've had my expenses paid, and I get a salary and benefits, so I think that's for a travel writer, that's doing pretty now, good. Now, I would imagine you're inundated by people who have uh, tours to sell and guidebooks to promote, like me and so on, trying to get you to run little uh, uh, disguised promos in the in the in the in sort of a shape of articles. How do you deal with that? Do you find good stuff that's free that promotes people's uh, little entrepreneurial ventures? It's 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 really hard. We we get inundated. It's to the point where we can't even cope. I uh, if I'm out of the office for a couple of days. I'm I'm getting, you know, several hundred emails every single day and my email just jams up after about 2 days if I don't clear it out. There's just so many people out there. It's become it's just become dysfunctional. We, you know, there's so much coming in that we just can't even pay attention to it. So what's your personal email address so I can get my all my <laughs> listeners to send you uh, their articles, their journals, their their feedback on favorite hotels in Paris. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I, think I think I'll pass on that. But you know, but I you know, some people are like you you uh, I think you do a, a good job of marketing. You you sent me an article the other day which uh, hopefully we're going to run this Sunday about uh, 
ways to save money traveling in London. And, uh, oh, yeah. you know, so sometimes when, when people are smart like that, they, they can get, you know, something into our section. But generally, people call up and want to just say, please write an article about my tour or my hotel or yeah. something. And, you don't need to be brilliant to know that you are the hired hand of your readers, really. And if, you've, if I've got something that I think will really strike a chord with your readers and help them travel smarter and less expensively, well, I think this might be a, a wonderful little godsend for John Flynn down at the San Francisco Chronicle. I'll email that to you, and, and you, you uh, recognize that. Every year we do a, a distillation of all the uh, best little uh, changes that we discovered in Europe and we, we, at the end of the year, and we send it down to you, and I think you use that every year, and it must work for your readers. Oh, yeah. No, that's, uh, we, we, we enjoy running that every year, and it's, yeah. become, it's become really popular. I know from my own experience that you don't want to offend your advertisers. I've been writing here in the Seattle area for 20 years every uh, every Sunday for the Everett paper, and I used to write for the Bellevue paper. When I first started writing my column in Bellevue back in the 80s, I had a column called The Budget Traveler. And within a month of the appearance of that article, the travel editor, or the, the advertisers, the travel agencies that made that travel newspaper section possible with their ads had a meeting. They sat down with the editor and said, flat out, we're not going to advertise in your paper anymore if you continue running a column called The Budget Traveler. Get your act together. We're not teaching people how to travel without us. Uh, and we had to change the name of the column. And we decided to call it The Practical Travel, uh, you know, same subversive information, but with a more palatable to the advertiser's uh, title. Uh, I think those days are long gone now, but... But um, in other words, advertisers don't dictate what you're going to run, but they must have an influence. How do you balance that? Well, well, first, I, I think those times have changed. I mean, we, we run a column every week by Arthur Frommer called Budget Travel. And, mm -hmm. and a lot of our focus in the travel section is really aimed at uh, good value and, and budget travel. We figure there's, there are glossy magazines like Condé Nast Traveler and Travel and Leisure that cover the high end of the market, and we don't need to repeat that. So we try to aim sort of more at the middle end of the market or even the, you know, the more budget end of the market, and we don't get any pressure from advertisers. Do advertisers these days know that if you have a lot of credibility, in other words, if you are reader-oriented, more people are going to turn to your section and their ads will be more effective? Well, than I if think you're that's, just... that's really true. I think the smart advertisers, and a lot of them are smart, realize that you know, all we have to sell is credibility, and we want to attract... Uh, a large audience of people who are interested in travel who will, will come to our section every week, and that's the best thing we can right. deliver to advertisers. Now, who it's, are your biggest advertisers? Uh, oftentimes the cruise lines. I was going to uh, say, Carnival I bet it's, I bet it's like the cruise lines. Now, you and, don't and, see... and which way they do influence us is that, and this is the only way, because I will say this, I, I make a point of not paying attention to who advertises in the section. I really don't want to know, and I don't want to know which ads their, which pages their ads go on. And this actually led to a little bit of a, a problem a few years ago. We had a consumer column about a uh, one of the new car agencies had a had some special promotion all in one where they you got your you know child you know car seat and your uh, free gas fill up and all sorts of things bundled into one price. And basically uh, the the column. Consumer Com talked about what a what a ripoff this was, mm. and only two things ran on on a certain page of the newspaper with that column and and a big advertisement for that particular package. Oh, that's bad luck. And on the same page, and the advertiser was quite upset about it. But I made a point of you know I don't I don't look at the ads. I don't I don't really want to know who's advertising. But I will say this is that uh, we do do about a dozen special themed sections a year that are driven by advertising because. So many cruise lines want to advertise. I we see. So special. you have your cruise special or your we Europe do, I do, special? I think or? three cruise issues a year. Right. We do two issues focused on Hawaii, uh, two focused on Mexico, uh, one on Arizona that we run around spring training. But time. there really is a separation between editorial and advertising on those. Yeah, no one, no one ever tells us what to run, and That's I don't, good. I don't know or care what you know who's advertising. I mean, I know that I will be running you know, a package of articles about Hawaii on a certain date, but no one tells me which island to cover or what. And, you know, in general, you know, we always look for stories that are more positive. Yeah, you're uh, not going to um, criticize or be really malicious about cruises. It would just be... No, and there, there's a certain genre of writing in some sort of more hip magazines where they'll send some young person mm -hmm. who hates cruises on a cruise and they'll write about what how horrible it is but mm -hmm. we, we actually have a I have a colleague named Spud Hilton who loves cruises and knows as much as anybody I know about the cruise industry and so I'd rather send somebody on there that knows and appreciates cruises on the other hand he I mean he, he looks at it with a with a wary eye I mean if a, if a cruise line is 
doing something that he thinks is substandard, he, he'll mention that. I think sure. it's, it's our duty to let people know about that. And that's the credibility that makes the advertising worth something because people are going to look to you. You mentioned earlier that um, you know you're, you're tu- each editor is tuned into their market. I would imagine that the market really shapes the travel section. Uh, give me an example. For instance, you got the San Francisco travel section, and then you got the the Fargo travel section. Would that just be uh, fishing and hunting, or, or, or how would they? How well, would they I've, differ? I've never seen the Fargo section. I, <laughs> I, I will say I've, I've seen the Dallas section a lot because the the editor there, Larry Blyberg, I think is an excellent editor and is a good friend of mine, and we we send each other our our issues every week to look at them. So I, I, I read the Dallas uh, section almost every week, and I can I can talk a lot about the difference between San Francisco and Dallas. Okay, well, that's a better question, really, because Dallas is an affluent market, and they are going to be traveling, but it's probably a different personality. So Yeah, our, our San Francisco travelers are probably the most adventurous of any major city in America, I think. One, I know that we travel more than almost anybody. It's, it's, it's sort of ironic. We're one of the cities everybody wants to come visit, and everybody here is just eager to go out and go right. somewhere else. I think we have triple the average, the national average of uh, uh, passports per capita. So we run a lot of stories about, say, like uh, trekking to Nepal, but not the famous routes like uh, Everest or Annapurna, you know, because everybody goes there. Everybody's done and that. And so yeah. we, we look for, you know, we just ran a story not too long ago about Sikkim uh, being the next big place to go trekking because okay, Nepal right now is in trouble. And in Dallas, that would just be a little bit uh, too obscure. Yeah, they, they, they again, they, they maybe wouldn't get out to places like Nepal very often. Uh, they, will, you know, they, they travel more in the, uh, they would run a lot more stories about the Caribbean, you know, the, uh, mm. you know, Florida and, and those areas because that's where their people travel a lot. So, they, you know, you would probably get better coverage of the Caribbean and the east coast of Mexico in the Dallas paper than, than you would in our paper. Oh, yeah. And in the Seattle paper, the joke was we were the Alaska travel section uh-huh. for a long time because it was just Alaska because we're the gateway to Alaska up here. Yeah, so I think we, we are, you know, sort of since we're the gateway to Asia, we probably do run more Asian stories, but we run a lot of Europe and Africa stories so as it's well. A, it's a kind of a s- small circle of travel editors. Uh, it's, I imagine you guys are pretty well networked, and uh, it's interesting to think that you and Larry Blyberg, for instance, in Dallas would collaborate. How are some ways that you collaborate? Oh, uh, occasionally, uh, if one of us gets a story from a freelance writer we think is particularly good, and it would you know, fit the other person's market, we will we'll send it or recommend it to them. Okay. Uh, oftentimes, if Larry writes a story and I want to run it, he will just send me his photos uh, directly to me rather than going through all the official channels and, and vice see. versa. More with John Flynn, executive travel editor for the San Francisco Chronicle, in just a moment on Travel with Rick Steves. Far away places with Travel is an important part of the lifelong learning process, and that's what we're about at Travel with Rick Steves. I'm talking with John Flynn, who's the executive travel editor of the San Francisco Chronicle, and we're talking about what makes a travel section work. And uh, we've got some uh, travelers on the line who might want to ask John a question. We've got Judy in Santa Rosa. Hi, Judy. Hi. Thanks for your call. Thank you. What's on your mind? Um, one question was, what are the best ways to increase one's chances of having a story selected for publication? I have done some freelance writing, and I would be interested in maybe submitting something in the future. Okay. Well, I think the best, especially if you're in, in Northern California, we generally, of the two original stories we run uh, every week that are staff or freelance produced, one of them is always about travel in California and the West, uh, usually Northern California, but it can be anywhere in California, Southern Oregon, uh, Western Nevada, maybe even Arizona. And uh, uh, we don't get very many submissions for those kinds of stories. We probably get 100 submissions a week, and maybe 95 of them are candidates, you know, or some big international destination like Bali or Timbuktu. And we don't get very many close-to-home stories. I, almost every travel editor in the country will tell you this. is They're, they're desperate for stories, you know, about places their readers can do on a long weekend. Right. Oh, good. 
and uh, we we never get them, and or we don't get nearly enough of them. Mm-hmm. And we're willing to work with writers a little bit more if the if the manuscript isn't just perfect. Okay. So I would say, yeah, please give me some stories on the on in California, and I think you'll you'll find a be- much better chance of success. And how about photos? If you've got photos that you want to uh, that you've got that you want to yeah, photos see. photos are important. I, I you know most travel editors came up through as writers. And it used to be in the old days we would, you know, we were really word-oriented and we would, you know, get a story and then go, oh, I guess we ought to get a couple of photos to go with that. And these days I think we've become much more visually oriented. We've all realized that mm-hmm. you can really capture the, the flavor of a place with photos, oftentimes better than in words. Uh, a really great photo sometimes will, will really sell a submission. It's funny you say that because I almost put the cart before the horse as far as writing goes. I come home from a trip and I look through my photos and I think, oh, what can I write to in these photos? Because the photos are really such wonderful uh, ways to catch people's eyes and, and to help tell a story. Absolutely. And and these days with digital photography, it's, it's gotten a lot less expensive for right. people to shoot photos and submit them. Judy, do you have any other questions? Well, I'm just wondering, what sources do you use for your photos when you need to illustrate an article? Uh, if, if it's, sometimes if it's in Northern California, we will send a staff photographer out to shoot it. There's a, an, an excellent uh, guy in Sausalito named Robert Holmes, who's one of the top travel photographers in the country. And uh, we, we, he has a stock agency, and he has usually uh, good photos of almost anywhere in, in the western United States mm-hmm. and uh, other parts of the world, and so I'll call him often. And, and often, you know, sometimes the, the writers will submit photos, and if they're, if they're good, we'll, we'll use them. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Thanks, Judy. Thank you. Yeah, we've got an email from Pat in Austin, Texas, and, and Pat enjoys traveling with groups to Europe, China, Thailand, South America, and India. Pat asks, which tour companies do you recommend that have decently priced, well-planned trips to let you stay several days in one place? Uh, that's a interesting question. Uh, John, do you do you like know what the, uh, in, the the comparative advantages of different tour companies are through your work? Yeah, I'll, I'll be real honest. I don't I don't generally go on tours much myself. Uh, I will occasionally go on like an adventure travel tour that offered by a company like Mountain Travel or Geographic Expeditions, but uh, say like a European tour or something like that. I, I'll be honest, I don't have a lot of experiences. I, hey, well, you just got back from the Basque Country, didn't you? Yes. Now, how did you, like, okay, you're going off there on a mission. You, you're going to go to Basque Country. You probably don't know exactly what you're going to write yet. How do you collect info sources, and how do you, how do you uh, uh, come home with uh, all of the, the wood that you need to, to build these stories? Well, I, I do a lot of guidebook reading. I uh, go online, and I look for other articles that have been written about the area. And then sometimes I'll work pretty closely with the, the local tourism uh, organization. It's, it's a little touchy because sometimes they try to take over your itinerary. But uh, the good ones, and the people in Spain did a good job, is they, uh, I wanted a, uh, a Basque-speaking uh, interpreter guide, and they, they found me one and, uh, and suggested an itinerary that uh, I didn't use entirely but had some pretty good suggestions. And we went from there. And the same thing, I was in Japan not too long ago, and the Japanese National Tourism op- uh, Office uh, hooked me up with an interpreter in Hiroshima. It's interesting to use those tourist boards, but not let them corral you into what they want to promote. If you don't, if you don't watch it, yeah, they'll, they'll take over your whole trip or try to and send you all sorts of places that you don't necessarily And, and a lot of people are so enamored by a fancy meal or a, a nice hotel that they will just be um, putty in their hands and... I find that that really defeats the purpose of your work as a travel writer. Yeah, and usually when I when I travel, I mean, the wonderful thing about my job is I get to go to these wonderful places, but the bad thing is I don't get to stay nearly as long as a normal visitor right. would. So I have to just sort of rush into a destination. I'm very focused. I have to sort of, you know, take care of my little schedule and know exactly what information I want. And usually after two or three days, I'm on to the next place. Now, a lot of, a lot of travel sections, they actually have a little, uh, a little uh, sidebar that just brags, we accept no free rooms and so on. Uh, what is with the ethics on that? Well, that's, that's our policy also. I don't think we have any little thing bragging about it. But, you know, our rule is we, we, we have to, we and anyone who writes for us, including freelance writers, have to pay whatever the readers would. 
And uh, so no special deals, no special press rates, uh, really? anything like that. And, and the, the reason for that is, uh, you know, we're, we're evaluating these places for people. And our readers, oftentimes, uh, the, what they spend on their vacation is going to be the biggest uh, money expenditure they're yeah. going to make all year. It's a big investment for them. Well, you have to have integrity with that. But still, uh, I mean, so there's fam trips, familiarization trips, yeah. right? Those are for tra- uh, travel agents more than travel writers? Well, then? sometimes. No, they, they they take travel writers on them as well. They, yeah. I I haven't had much. I went on one many 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 years ago, and they, uh, I think they they took us to about fifteen or twenty different sites a day. I think they'd leave the the motor in the van running. We'd get off and yeah. meet the manager, get the press, get get back on and go to the next one. And you really can't get any information that uh, a reader would find useful. It's probably like being embedded if you're covering a war. <laughs> Probably you can't get out and do your own thing. No, and that that was very frustrating. And but as far as the ethics of of not accepting free things, partly it's because we wanted we want to be treated like the reader would. If yeah. the if the staff treats you very shabbily, well, if they know you're a, a travel writer, you're not going to oh, yeah. have I, a problem. You're always going to get sent to the nicest room, usually the grand suite. If there's big heavy construction going on, noisy stuff going on at one end of the hotel, you're going to be at the other end of the hotel. There's there's actually an old saying that. Uh, uh, the one ailment no travel writer ever suffers from is constipation because as soon as you check into a hotel room, there's a big fruit basket waiting for you, <laughs> usually a bottle of champagne. Right. And uh, and so you don't have an experience that's anything like what your readers will be having. Oh, yeah. I, I always feel if, if, you know, if a travel writer, and many of them are, is met at the airport with a person in a dirndl from the tourist board, they're only going to learn things that are helpful to other people who are met at the airport with a person from the tourist board. Most people get into a new country and they're bewildered and they don't know which end is up, and that's what we have to experience to be good writers. I find it very interesting to take advantage of the hospitality of some of these tourist boards. I, I went to Israel with my film crew, and uh, and they made things uh, much more uh, efficient for us, but on the other hand, to really defend our integrity. He wanted me to shoot that, uh, include that tunnel, that very controversial tunnel uh, near the Wailing Wall uh, that uh, the... Uh, Palestinians didn't want uh, uh, made into a, a tourist attraction or something like that. And I didn't want to be pushed into that by the tourist board. I was just in the Swiss Alps, uh, and they've got these much-hyped, uh, super uh, scenic uh, train rides. And I had a lot of help from the tourist board uh, sorting out all that thing. And I went on the, the uh, these uh, panorama trains, and I really concluded that they just weren't worth all the trouble. There's hourly departures, and I don't know why anybody would go through all these hoops to take a certain train when you lose all your flexibility. And I'm able to write about that um, honestly, I, I think the irony is if um, if a bed and breakfast or a hotel has me sleeping in their hotel, I'm more likely to drop them from my book than to add them to my book because I'm going to know all the little flaws. I mean, I was in London uh, this summer and I was in a hotel that you couldn't open the windows because they were so afraid of people falling out the windows that they bolted them shut. You could open them about two inches on the bottom and everybody was suffocating. You know, if you didn't spend the night there, you wouldn't have realized that. So. The more they show their cards, the more we can write, I think, honestly and, and uh, hopefully about it. Yeah. I mean, the bottom line that we have to always remember is that we're, we're the advocates for the readers. We're, yep. we're really the only thing we should be focused on. Is this going to be a good place for our readers? Is it good value for the money? Are they going to be treated well? Are they going to have an enjoyable experience? And and the minute you start to forget that and become more of an advocate for the, the hotels or the oh. local tourism destination people, that I think you've lost a lot of your credibility. You've lost it. You've absolutely lost it, yeah. Now, a lot of travel editors, I've noticed, move in from being an editor in a sports section or something like that. What uh, what skills are the most important, your journalistic skills or your travel skills? Well, it's it's as I, as I say often when, when I'm asked about this, is that it's it's really all about the, the, the writing, not the traveling. Uh, I think a lot of aspiring travel writers make the mistake of thinking that the person who's traveled the most will be the best travel writer. And uh, right. an example of that I give is you might take a brilliant travel writer like Pico Iyer, and you could send him to a you know a Stuckey's on the Jersey Turnpike, and he would come back you know with a wonderful story. And by the same token, you know, twelve men have walked on the moon, and not a single one of them have written anything interesting about it. Isn't that interesting? Well, I I, I was. You know, Pico, he wrote that great book, uh, Video... Uh, what Video is it? Night in Kathmandu. And, and, and he, I understand he had two weeks in each of 10, ten different uh, Asian countries. Two weeks in each country. He had never been to those countries before. He didn't speak the language. And he wrote brilliantly about them. Yeah, so it's it's really all about the writer. And, you know, when I, when I teach travel writing, I, I 
I tell people what I'm what I'm looking for are writers who dabble in travel rather than travelers who dabble in writing. It's all about the the words, how you how well you can write, and uh, and I think also most newspaper travel editors, as you mentioned, did sort of come up through other ranks at the newspaper. We're all trained as journalists. I was a, a hard news reporter and a feature writer and a business writer for a while and a sports writer for a while, and I really you know my my grounding is all in in journalism type writing. I see. And and I think that's true of the vast not majority gonna, of tra- newspaper travel. But they're not going to put you into travel if you have a disdain for travel. You're not going to be no, like not that. at all. And right. I had I had uh, before getting the job, I had twice had taken a a year off and done the sort of backpacker uh, so gap you were, year thing. And you were a travel editor waiting to happen. Well, I was. I, I really had a, a passion for travel, and I, I had really developed my skills as a feature writer. And the 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 one wild card is I'd never done any editing at this level, but it turned out I I did all right. Well, I think you've done very well. I, I, now that you're the executive travel editor of the San Francisco Chronicle, does that ironically mean you have less time to get away and travel? Actually, not. Um, they uh, I, they've given these fancy titles out, but essentially they've brought in a, another woman named Jeannie Cooper who uh, had previously edited our Sunday Lifestyle section. And she, she actually has the title of travel editor, and she does most of the heavy lifting and getting the section out every week. Oh, so you get and to that, that frees, that frees me up to go on the road more, and I'm, I'm quite thankful for that. How much time do you spend a year uh, outside of the country? Probably about 10 or 11 weeks. Maybe. Ten, that's quite, quite impressive. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I, I tend to do it in in binges, and generally in the spring and the fall. And when one of those binges is over, I'm really happy to stay closer to home for sure. a couple of months. Do you enjoy the travel as much as ever? Um, you know, it's it's work. It's 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 I, you have to treat it like a business trip, and the minute you yeah. don't, uh, you'll you'll get into trouble. So I I tend to be very focused, work very hard. My wife doesn't always like to travel with me because I'm. She says I'm a real grump when I'm when I'm working, and uh, I. It's, it's, I'll say this, it's very pleasurable work, but it's work. And it's, you know, I can relate. I'm not very fun to travel with when I'm working either, and I don't think it's that great for my wife. And when I get home, I want to just sit at home, and she's ready to go. So that's part of the, part of the cross they bear as spouses of travel writers. Yeah, I, I, I make a point every year of taking what I call a no-notebook vacation, where mm. Jerry and I, my wife and I, Jerry, will... will book a trip somewhere that I know I don't want to write about. It might right. be some place like yeah. Maui that I've been to a million times right. and written about a million times, or just somewhere that I know I, I, I won't want to write about, and then I just relax. Although last year we ended up going to Yellowstone uh, in the winter to see the wolves. That was going to be our no-notebook vacation. And about two days into Couldn't it, do I, it. <laughs> I said, this is more interesting most of the things I write about. So I got I went out and bought a notebook and started taking notes and it ended up blowing that one. Oh, there goes that one. Apart from the newspaper travel sections, what travel literature do you like and what travel magazines do you think are, are good? Uh, among magazines, I think uh, National Geographic Traveler is the best. I think it's, uh, I think the, the others, Condé Nast and Travel and Leisure, are really more high-end lifestyle magazines that happen to, to be about travel. But that sort of lifestyles and the rich and envious stuff. Yeah, they they really are all about design and fashion and and right. you know expensive watches okay. and cars and things. So the but real traveler, National Geographic traveler. I, th- I think they're I think they're the best of the sort of major mm-hmm. glossies. And uh, do you have any favorite travel writers or literature? Oh, lots. Uh, Tim Cahill is uh, uh, I, I adore. He, I think he he invented modern uh, adventure travel writing, and he's very funny. Uh, Bill Bryson, I think, is uh, right. is just wonderful. He's very, very funny. And that's uh, not a busman's holiday for you to settle into a good travel novel? Not at all. I, uh, I, you know, I, I would rather read a Bill Bryson book than almost anything. Oh, I, right. Jan Morris, I think, is, is brilliant, wonderful. Pico Ayers, I mentioned. I love Jan Morris's work. That's my favorite travel writer. Hey, John, what is your website if people want to check out your travel section? Uh, our main, the main website of the Chronicle is www.sfgate.com. In other words, SF for San Francisco. And then if you look around and click on the link to travel, it'll, it'll get you into our section. John Flynn, executive travel editor of the San Francisco Chronicle, thank you so much for giving us an insight into something that's near and dear to the heart of many travelers, their local newspaper travel section. My pleasure, Rick. Thanks. Happy travels. Going to China or maybe Siam I want to see for myself those far away places I've been reading about. 
in a book that I took from the shelf. Look in the radio section of our website at ricksteves.com for details about our 15 Seconds of Fame department. That's where we collect your contributions to the program in one of these three ways. Write up a short essay about the place where you live, or send us a snatch of particularly interesting sound effects that you've recorded along the way. Or write us a haiku poem inspired by your travels. We'll use our favorite submissions on the air in future editions of the program and award the authors with a $20 gift certificate to the ricksteves.com travel store. Here are some recent haiku poems that we particularly enjoyed, written by listeners like you. This haiku was sent to us by Joan Huffman from Wallingford, Pennsylvania. Lisbon Tram Quanto? Confusion, Stranger Pace Fair. Kind souls everywhere. Gretchen Schmidt of Seattle emailed us a set of haikus she wrote. This one was our favorite. Swam off Kosamui, slept at Cleopatra's palace, ate and ate and ate. And David Preston of St. Paul, Minnesota sends us this one. Lithuania, your dumplings are so tender, your buses so slow. Send us your haiku, your evocative travel sound effects, or a short essay about the place you call home. Go to ricksteves.com for all the details. I pray for the day when I'll find a way close far away places to see. Those far away places with a strange sound of names calling, calling me. Calling, calling, calling me. Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. There's more online in the radio section at ricksteves.com. That's where you can look up information on today's program and listen again to this and other editions of the program, including a link to podcast versions of Travel with Rick Steves. You can also submit your questions and comments for Rick from our website to be included on future editions of the show. And send us your submissions for our 15 Seconds of Fame department. Details are at ricksteves.com. The people who help bring you Travel with Rick Steves include communication support from Robin Goddard, Sonia Grosset, Rachel Unk, and Robin Stencil, with technical support from John Weist and Jonathan Lee. Special thanks to Jeannie Flatmo for reading today's haiku. Our theme music is composed by Jerry Frank. I'm your producer, Tim Tatton. Join us next time as we travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.